Macworld Podcast number 138, Experimental Edition, brought to you by Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable spoken word content with over 50,000 titles. Get a free audiobook for your iPod or MP3 player at www.audiblepodcast.com slash BTR. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I am guest host Philip Michaels, sitting in for Chris Breen. It's uh, mid-December, uh, a quiet time of the year in the Mac market in a way as we wait for Macworld Expo, which suddenly became a lot more interesting this year, just a few minutes ago as we record this. Um, many of the major Mac releases are, uh, are coming out in January, and so we thought, what to talk about this week on the Macworld podcast? Well, we decided to do something a little bit experimental. There's a a show that uh, several of us around the office like listening to called Fighting Talk. It's on BBC Radio. You can also um, get it via the iTunes Store via pod- in podcast form, uh, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes. It's a bunch of people talking about uh, soccer or, if you prefer, football uh, in an entertaining way, and they, they it's a little bit of a contest. They award points for uh, the comments that they make on that show, and we thought that would be Interesting to try with the Macworld podcast in this quiet time of year. So, without any further ado, uh, welcome to Macworld Podcast Fighting Talk Edition. Again, this is Philip Michaels. I will be the host of this uh, this uh, experiment, which we hope uh, results in entertainment and not lawsuits from the BBC. And I'd like to first introduce you to the panelists who will be competing for your amusement and delight today. Our first panelist is the face of Macworld, so it's a good thing that this is an audio podcast. And by being here today, he assumes full responsibility for the legal ramifications resulting from uh, what we do here today. Um, please welcome Jason Snell. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I assume no responsibility for anything you're about to do. Um, well, we, we, we hope that, uh, we hope that the lawyers don't call, but if they do, lawsuits are unnecessary. Please call Jason. Um, our second guest is known the world over for his helpful troubleshooting advice, his pocket guides for the iPod and iPhone, and for his fantastic hair, which one internet columnist has hailed for being, quote, full of body and luxurious. <laughs> well, yes, it is. Thank you. And the hair and, and I are both glad. And to be once here. I find his button, I will. Uh, I will press the. Oh, there it is. Oh, here's, here's Chris Breen. Ah, Christopher Breen. The MacWorld Podcast own. Uh, that's right. And there's my button too. And that felt great. <laughs> yes, it's it's kind of meta being introduced by your own theme music. The only person who's using uh, theme music that they wrote. Yeah, it is a little odd, but uh, I'm still thrilled to be here and uh, hope to do well. Mm-hmm. And our final panelist is a fixture on Macworld's videos, and if you don't believe us, just check out what they're saying about him on YouTube. He's also filling in for a PC World editor who had the good sense to bow out of this podcast at the last minute. So if he seems a little bit unprepared today, let him know about it in the comments section over at YouTube. Please welcome Roman Loyola. Thanks for having me. I'm just glad it's not sad trombone that you picked as my theme music. (laughs) 
Well, um, let's get started then, and um, let me explain the rules a little bit. I will ask these uh, these three gentlemen questions, and they will give me answers. If I like what they say, I will give them a point, which sounds like this. Boom. Two points, which sounds like this. Or three points, which sounds like this. And if they displease me or say something that I, I judge to be lame, they'll lose a point. <laughs> And so let's get started, and our first question is all about this. So the new iPod Touch, it's got millions of songs, thousands of Hollywood movies, and now hundreds of games. This is the funnest iPod ever. When Steve Jobs introduced the second-generation iPod Touch as the funnest iPod ever, millions of grammarians suddenly cried out in terror and were just as suddenly silenced. Please come up with a pithy iPod slogan that won't make my ninth-grade English teacher gape in horror. Let's start off with Jason. Uh, I think uh, grammarians would prefer it if Steve Jobs would properly not split infinitives and not end his sentences with prepositions. And therefore, I propose... Either a fine product with which to listen to music. Boom. Okay. Or, um, alternately, given the demographics of grammarians today, uh, perhaps something more appropriate and accurate would be something like, finally, a stocking stuffer that I can put in my grandkids' stocking and they won't hate me for it. No. All right, I had it, and then I lost it. Wow, you are rough. Colin Murray has nothing on you. Yes, so so, uh, uh, Chris, let's see if you can do a little bit better than that. Okay, um, I thought that I would use this as as sort of a a meta thing. So people who are really into the iPod are are geeks, and they are clearly going to get this slogan, which is, don't fight it, it's no use. Sooner or later, you'll have to go to sleep. Boom. Very good, very good. Much better than Jason's. Jason should have stopped at one. Anybody get the reference? I guess so. Reference anyone? I have no idea. What, what are you talking about? Invasion of the Body Snatchers. All right. Gr- are grammarians into that? Uh, yes. All yes. Right. Cle- geek grammarians, yes. Yes. And it's very popular with the kids today. It is. Or I could have uh, just as well used one of the taglines, which is incredible, invisible, insatiable. Which is less clear. Yes. You should uh, have stopped at one, Chris. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my point. All right. And also to Jason for writing yeah, out uh, Chris. I'm there. negative now. Yes. Uh, uh, Roman, do you, do you uh, want to throw your hat into the ring on this? Well, I think the iPod Touch is a great communications device. So you can, you know, you call people. You can use the email. You can send SMS. You can do all kinds of things to communicate. So I think... What the slogan should have been for the iPod Touch would, be, would have been, when I think about you, I touch myself. You can't call people with the iPod Touch. It's not an iPhone. Oh, that's right. You can't call people. Oh, I don't sorry. care. Overthought it. <laughs> right. A, a Divinal's reference will always get us three points on, on mackerel fighting talk. Always. Uh, let's move on to the next question then. President-elect Barack Obama is looking to appoint the nation's first chief technology officer. Which Mac luminary should be on the administration's short list? And I guess I have to call on someone. Chris, I'm looking at you. Okay. Um, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to say David Pogue, and I have a, a reason for this. The reason would be that the man with his books, his New York Times gig, his TV appearances, uh, his radio stuff on NPR, he's pretty well sucked up every private sector opportunity for other tech writers and pundits. Uh, I su- suggest we give him a government gig, and then we can help stimulate the economy by spreading the wealth and opportunities to the rest of us. 
And but this works only if you also make Leo Laporte the undersecretary, because Boom. he's pretty much taken all the oxygen out of the podcasting uh, market as well. Excellent. Well done. Four points total on that answer. Let's go over to Roman. Well, the person I thought would be a great person for the uh, for the White House would be is, is Lawrence Lessig. Now I know he's not necessarily a Mac luminary, but he's somebody who's very active in copyright and digital rights, and he's been, been a leader he, in, in those movements. He was a f- board member of the Creative Commons. He was a board member of the Software Freedom Law Center and a former board member of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And I think he would be a very good person there since copyright is one of the key issues going into, you know, the, into the future that you know, we need to talk about in terms of how it's uh, applied digitally. Boom. So I think Lawrence Lessig would be a good person. That, that was a very serious answer, right? Yes. To, so to display some of that copyright infringement yes. that, we, that we have over there on the, on the soundboard. Yes. We, I we need ha- to balance myself with the touch myself. We have, to, we have to crack down on copyright infringement and plagiarism. Those are terrible, terrible things here on Macworld fighting talk. <laughs> uh, Jason, who do you think should well, be? I, I think that the Mac community and the tech community in general have a lot to offer an Obama cabinet. I think that the, the key pick to start with is to pick Waz as the Secretary of Transportation because I think we could all mm. use more segues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, John Moltz of the Crazy Apple Rumor site would be an mm. excellent press secretary because he's used to telling lies and pretending that they're facts. And uh, I think Rob Enderley should be the science advisor because he's the analyst who already acts like he's on another planet. Very well done. Very well done. Let's uh, go to the scores after two questions. Bringing up the rear because of the, the horrible negative hole he dug for himself at the beginning is Jason Snow with three points. Roman Loyola and Christopher Breen are tied at four in the lead. And now we go to our next question. Apple is not really big on anniversaries, but a huge one comes up next month, the silver anniversary of the Mac's introduction. How should Apple commemorate this 25th anniversary of the Mac? And I'll go to Roman. I think a great way to commemorate this uh, anniversary is to release Snow Leopard and give it away for free. There are no new features. It's mostly tweaks and bugs to work out out of the OS. So giving it free would send a good message about you know, about Apple and its customers. I think I would totally agree with you. And who knows what they they might actually announce uh, in a month's time. Let's go to uh, Jason with the next answer. Well, Phil, as you know, and as many of our listeners know, the 25th anniversary is traditionally the silver anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I think that what Apple should do is really integrate that concept into their product line. If you can imagine having every Mac that is shipping uh, be transformed into something that's clad in a silvery metallic sheen. At, wait a second. They, they already did that. Yeah. So uh, failing that, why don't they just Photoshop an iPhone into that 1984 commercial? Boom. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's, a, that's worth a point. Uh, Chris? Well, I think as we all know that um, Apple has had a big hand in animation, uh, particularly with Steve Jobs' ties to uh, Pixar. Um, but what we don't – a lot of people don't know is that they are uh, leading in the uh, science of reanimation. So what I'm suggesting oh, no. that they do is they take out Walt Disney and they thaw him out on stage – 
and they take them on a brief tour of the highlights of Apple technology because Disney was a visionary. So they, they show them the first Mac and then they take them through the iPod and the iMac and they do the iPhone and then they kind of throw the Pippin in there just to confuse him. And just as he freaks out, then they pop him right back in the freezer. You get a point for the Pippin. Excellent. <laughs> the Pippin always will get a point. Um, let's move on to the next question. Apple posted, this was a, about a week, week and a half ago, Apple posted then removed a tech note telling Mac users to install antivirus software, saying that the article was old and inaccurate. What piece of tech advice would you like to blast out of existence um, the way that Apple did? And I'll go to Mr. Mr. Mac 911 himself. Mac 91111. Christopher Breen. This is something that Apple actually still has posted, uh, but I think it's time for it to go because it's inaccurate. Um, And that would be, quote, to synchronize your contacts and calendars, just enable the synchronize for mobile me option in the mobile me system reference. (laughs) I I gave you two premature points because I know where you were going there. I knew it would be excellent advice. Um, Jason, can you can you match Chris? Well, I think that the, the advice that people give that is horribly misguided and must stop is the advice that if you want to buy a Mac, you better be careful because they're more expensive than PCs and maybe you can get a better deal if you bought a PC. Boom. And as we've seen many times, especially since the Intel Macs have come out, the fact is the difference in price between an Apple system and a PC system is that you're comparing a system that actually has all the parts that require that you require as a regular user of that product to function. Whereas the PCs that they tend to price out are these cheap, cruddy uh, pieces of junk. They've got no Boom. ports. They've got no memory. They've got crappy processors. And yeah, it's 200 bucks, but it's terrible. And if you compare a Mac at the same price point to a PC with the same number of features, they're in the ballpark or sometimes cheaper. And so the whole Macs are more expensive thing needs to be deleted from history. Very, very good. And you got two points for that. Roman. Well, the main criteria being old and a- inaccurate, I would say anything... Jason already alluded to it. Anything said or spoken by Rob Enderley would should be deleted <laughs> I, I would give from you, the annals of technology history. I would give you points on that, but since since we've already had a laugh at uh, Rob Enderley's expense, mm. oh. yes, I knew I was risking that. Yes, um, that uh, takes us to the halfway mark here on MacWorld Fighting Talk. And once I find the score button, there we are. Let's go to the scores here. After losing a point there, uh, Roman Loyola has toppled into last place with five points. Jason Snell is in second with six, and Chris Breen is all alone in first place with seven points. And now, as we reach the the halftime show, I'll, I'll have these guys eat their orange slices and drink their juice, and we'll pause for this word from our sponsor which is Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable spoken word content with over 50,000 audiobooks, magazines, newspapers, and more. Take them with you on your iPod or MP3 player, transfer to CD, or listen right on your computer. Get a free audiobook through this special offer at www.audiblepodcast.com slash BTR. That's www many w's dot audiblepodcast.com slash btr and i i bet audible.com is just thrilled that they came up in the rotation for <laughs> yes. sponsoring the experimental mac hey podcast. we have a sponsor take that bbc with yes. your commercial free nature with your commercial free radio please don't sue our sponsor <laughs> it's an homage we're not copying. it's just an homage yes 
Um, we begin the second half of this podcast by uh, looking back at 2008. We're about to close the books on 2008. And when we do, I'd like to know what will go down as Apple's greatest success. Jason, why don't you start us off? Apple's greatest success in 2008 is I would I would say the App Store, um, and wrapping into that is Boom. the uh, the uh, software development kit that came out that allowed all of these apps to be created. Um, the fact that there have been so many games for that platform that they really turned it into a platform, and you see that with the way they're selling the iPod Touch, which is beyond just being as Roman alluded to earlier, just being an iPod, but really being a game machine, and that would be impossible without the App Store and without the SDK and the game that go with it. So I, I think that at this point in time, the App Store really is going to be seen as the biggest uh, hit of 2008. All right. Chris, what do you have to say to that? Well, I think if people are looking back uh, from the future, I think what they will probably say is, wow, Apple managed to stay in business all the way through August 2009. But um, No, but seriously, folks, it's, uh, I think it's the iPhone. I think what we're seeing is, in a lot of ways, the iPod all over again. You know, we're seeing people come out with a new uh, – rim device they say oh here's the iphone killer here's the next iphone killer and we're hearing all this killer stuff again and it's not working out there's the denial of the popularity by competitors uh bombers up there saying oh well who cares but nobody's going to care about this it's going to disappear and of course that hasn't happened and then we have the expansion of the platform to perform more than its core set of duties so i think the iphone is it we're going to see that continue to expand over the next couple of years very good answer roman I think Apple's greatest success is Steve Jobs' ability to show that he has a sense of humor during the keynotes, especially in regards to uh, reports about his death. You know, a couple times he alluded to it, uh, saying that, you know, he had a couple slides showing that the rumors of his death were greatly exaggerated and such. And to be able to dispel those rumors and do it comically and effectively, I think, is a a good triumph for, for the company. And we hope that Steve Jobs will continue to uh, use humor in his keynotes wherever they may be. <laughs> uh, let's take the flip side of that question. What was Apple's biggest blunder of 2008? And everyone's looking at me because I haven't called on anyone yet. I'm a great host. It's, Roman. Hard, it's hard to host, isn't it? Roman, let's – yeah, you've got a tabulate scores and press buttons and call on people and read questions that I can I can't even chew gum at the same time as host a podcast. So Roman, why don't you uh sure. start us off? The biggest blunder by Apple in two thousand eight is that they did not publish one essay by Steve Jobs. And oh, I thought right. the essay published in two thousand seven, he did a couple of them I believe, one about DRM and I don't remember what the other one was. Uh, the, th- uh, the environment. Yes. They were quite effective in terms of being – in terms of marketing. I thought they were the most effective marketing devices that have been done in the past couple of years. They didn't come – he didn't write one in 2008. He could have written one about mobile me. He could Ooh. have written one about the um, – you know, uh, the iPhone app store, the oh. approval process. He could have written one about, I don't know, what he did over the weekend. But it, what it did was it created <laughs> – what it did was it created um, – it made him even more real to a lot of people and it gave a, lot, a personal uh, touch to the company and it made people feel like they can even be more attached to Apple. And not having one in 2008 was a big mistake. I, I do miss the uh, the open letters from Steve Jobs, even even if I'm not actually sure that he was the one writing them. 
Do you think he was? No, I think it was Bob. <laughs> Bob, Bob the guy. Bob the guy. And, uh, Bob Jones. That's a point for Chris. That's Bob. That's Bob. You're talking about Bob Borchers, the uh, iPhone product manager, actually. Oh, is, uh, that, oh. he's the, he's not just a, a, a video spokesmodel. He is the actual iPhone guy. No, I know him as Bobby. Uh, sure. So if you'd said Bobby, naturally I would have well, said, oh, If, if Chris is on a first-name basis with uh, with Apple executives, I think we have to uh, go to Chris next for the biggest Apple blunder of 2008. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to say this only because <clears throat> Apple made me look bad. And uh, and last year, at Boom. the end of last year, pettiness. So, exactly. one guy on, on Yahoo said, the Apple TV, terrible, just awful, it's awful. And, and I came out right back at him and said, no, in 2008, the Apple TV is really going to be important. And it's not. Um, and it needs to be an obvious magic box, and it just isn't. I have an Apple TV. I love the thing. But there just isn't a good way to sell these things right now. Um, if they could make it into a TiVo, if they could get content from lots of places like you can now by using the ATV device and using Boxy, if it would work without glitches, uh, particularly HDMI stuff. Boom. And right now, it, um, you know, I want them to give me a device that makes me question why I'd ever get a Blu-ray player or buy another CD or DVD again, and it just isn't that box yet. In fairness, and I gave you loads of points on that. I, um, I heard them. Thank you. Um, is that their biggest blunder, even though it's only a, a, a hobby, Steve Jobs keeps calling yeah, it? Yeah, it was a hobby, but then last year he came back and he said, hey, we finally get it. And then it was elevated from hobby status, and then when they didn't sell them, it went back to hobby status. I think the Apple TV actually is very important to Apple, and they maintain this sort of, oh, it's just a hobby, so they don't have to say, boy, we really blew it, but we're going to get it right. And I think eventually they will get it right. Well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we hope that they do. And uh, Jason? What do you think the biggest blunder of 2000? I am absolutely flabbergasted that we have uh, Jobs not writing memos and the Apple TV on the list of the greatest blunders of 2008. I, We're it, saving the good let, ones let's, for you. Let's th- well, thank you. I really appreciate your, your kindliness there. I think in the overarching category, we could say Apple released a, a slew of products way too soon before they were ready. You can go down the list. The iPhone 2.0 software, which was really buggy and it was essentially a beta, and they released it, I think, because they said they were going to release it. And it wasn't until September when the 2.1 software came out that we really got what should have been 2.0 in the first place. You can throw in the uh, the iPhone 3G, which had some issues that had to be fixed in firmware. Mobile Me was clearly not ready to go. Releasing all three at the same time was a disaster and it was completely unnecessary. And I believe Jobs actually did post something to that effect on Apple. I'm not sure whether that counts as a memo or not, but I believe they did actually own up to the fact that they did too much at once. And I'll even throw the MacBook Air in there. As somebody who used the first-generation MacBook Air, um, the second-generation MacBook Air clearly puts it to shame. They solved a lot of problems that they probably should have fixed before they shipped the first version. So I think Apple needs to slow down and release products at at their proper pace. It sounds like Apple is starting to do that. Yeah, I think maybe they are. Yeah, they took your advice. Yes. Um, uh, Tons of points on that answer. And... With that, Jason Snell has raced into the lead. So clearly the key is to just keep talking, and I'll just keep hitting the points button. He's in first place with 14. Chris Breen is in second place with 13. Roman is bringing up the rear with 10, if I have those scores correctly. I, I'm sure someone will correct me in the comments. That I'm, I'm <laughs> right. totally you done. decide what the yes. points are. You're Call in Lord. now. Let's go on to our next question. Uh, 
related to Macworld Expo. Steve Jobs' presentations have featured musical guests ranging from John Mayer to Sarah McLaughlin to John Mayer to Kanye West to John Mayer. Which pop sensation should join the, well, now Phil Schiller, should join Phil Schiller on the stage at next month's Macworld Expo? And we'll start with Chris Breen. Well, I'm going to assume that this actually was Steve Jobs and to prove that... The he, next Jobs keynote, whenever it that, is. Whenever that is, in order to prove that he really is the second coming of Christ, I'm suggesting that Jobs should introduce the Lazarus Four. Boom. So that would include Lennon, Holly, Hendrix, and Jobs. More reanimation, Chris? More reanimation. You know, I gave you a point there, but uh, I'm, I'm anti-zombie, so we'll take the point off there. Uh, Roman? Well, if the uh, Grammy Award nominations are any indication, it was a weak year in music. I mean, what are you going to do, have Lil Wayne come on stage and go, yeah, oh, or are you going <laughs> to... Terrible Lil Wayne. <laughs> oh, how about this oh, one? I called him Lil Maybe Wayne, excuse have... me, Lil, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, with the apostrophe. Mm. Or you can have Katy Perry go up there and sing, uh, I Kissed a Girl, and maybe people <laughs> are not. I, I have no idea who these people are. <laughs> But I think what they should do is they should do a whole thing. We all know about iTunes and music, and that gets played up all the time. But we maybe we need to focus more on the movies and the audio books. So what they should do is have Justin Long come out and promote his movies like uh, Accepted and uh, <laughs> Live Free or Die Hard. <laughs> Live Free or Die Hard, Herbie Fully Loaded. Oh, okay. That's worth two points. And Zach and Mary make a porno. Mm, just, just stop talking because you're, you're, you're. And then, because I'm down in points, so no. I need to push this. No, you. So shouldn't. then, at the end, you have John Hodgman come out oh, yeah, promote cool. the audio book of more information than you require, and then do a reading from the book. That would add about an hour onto the uh, onto the keynote. So. <gasps> I thought that was a point getter. Let's uh, go with Jason Snell here. All right. Now, now, what I wanted to say here was that finally, at long last, at the next Steve Jobs presentation, Paul McCartney will come up on stage and announce that the Beatles are going to be in the iTunes store. No, that's a very painful thing however, for Phil. However, bear with me here. At this point, aren't there actually pop sensations out there who weren't even born when the Beatles and iTunes rumors began? Yes. I, the, the, I think the Jonas Brothers were actually conceived to a smart playlist. I, I, so, so who's gonna whose job's gonna call on stage? I'm gonna go with you, Chris. I'm gonna go with Reanimation. Why not Beethoven? Let's just get Beethoven out of the ground and put him there on the stage. Anti-zombie. No <laughs> points to anyone on that question. We, I said at the beginning that we, I'm not sure if I said that we had ten questions, but let's add an extra question here based on breaking news. I don't know why this is the survivor's breaking news. In 1982, they were. Um, as we began, went down to the podcast cave here at Macworld World Headquarters, word came out that uh, Steve Jobs will not be delivering the keynote at next month's Macworld Expo. And that Apple will be pulling out of the show entirely after this year. This will be the last expo that Apple is at. So my question to you, panel, is what are we likely to see at the 2010 Macworld Expo? Let's go to Roman. I think we're likely to see nothing. I think Boom. you're going to see a big vacant space. And a lot of people relieved that they only have to in terms of the vendor side, only have to go to one trade show, and that's CES at the beginning of January. And a lot of Mac pundits and journalists believe that they can spend the holidays and just relax and not have to worry about going to a trade show at the beginning of the year. 
I, I hope you're not right, but I fear that you are. Let's go to Jason for answer number two. Well, I, I'm tempted to say that uh, you can picture uh, some tumbleweeds blowing down Howard Street, and we, we slowly pan into the North Hall, and, and there's a small kind of uh, limited number of booths because just as we learned in, in Boston, that you, know, you don't really kill a show outright. What you do is you try to you keep the show going on with the show and then nobody comes and then it's sad and then you have to rethink what you're going to do. Um, perhaps in the center of the North Hall, there will be a Thunderdome sort of thing <laughs> where, where – uh, uh, you can you can have various pundits and other Mac users fight and with with motocross bikes and chainsaws to the death in a kind of post apocalyptic setting, um, and uh, that's probably uh, what we'll see in 2010. It's time. 2010 seems right for the apocalypse of uh, uh, and the Thunderdome. It will be a trade show where the living envy the dead. Uh, Chris Breen, <laughs> who will you be envying in 2010? I will not be envying the 350 people that are lined up for a keynote that is not. Going going to happen at Boom. 5 in the morning. So, yeah, I think that uh, it would only behoove Apple to send out some people in, in the green Apple T-shirts, go out to Moscone at 4 in the morning and and give them all little iPod shuffles or something and say, oh, and by the way, I don't know if you got the news or not, but there's nothing happening. Go to bed. Mm. What, a, what a depressing turn this, this, this show has taken. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's very sad. Yes, it it is. Well, what do we? Who knows what's going to happen next? No. It's uh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery what will happen in in this January. That's true. That's I, true. I think it's disappointing that Apple sees it as mostly a business decision that they're doing because MacWorld Expo is more than just a business gathering. It's a, it's a it's a community gathering. And there's a lot of people who are really into the Mac, and you go there and you see friends that you don't usually see. You go there and see, you know. Uh, People that you want to get get in touch with, and it's free publicity for Apple, where Apple gets to say, "Look, we're not going to even be at CES. We've got our own. We're so cool. We've got our own trade show." Yeah. And now they, I guess they're saying, uh, "We don't care." Well, no, and, that, and they've been saying this for years: is that, hey, we have a trade show every single day of the year, three hundred sixty-five days a year. If you come to the Apple Store, right. because the, you can see our stuff here. The and benchmark for the Apple Store has always been: it's like X number of MacWorld Expos. Right. I mean, they've the, seriously that has always been what they've said. And I think the implicit suggestion there is: soon we will not need you, MacWorld uh, yeah, Expo. Yeah, and, and, but Roman's right. The community is a lot about it's a lot about the conferences too. I mean, sure, people want to go to the yes. Apple booth; they want to see Steve Jobs, but a lot of people come for training. And yes, Apple could say, "Oh, well, we'll provide you training, one-to-one training. You just give us a hundred bucks a year, you can get that." But it's not the same thing. I, my hope is that what we see at Expo next uh, in 2010 is a scaled-back trade show, mm-hmm. but that's still got some life to it, and the full slate of conferences. Because right. um, you know what, a Mac trade show doesn't need Apple. It doesn't. I, I, I think that there, people may use this as an excuse because it costs a lot of money sure. to exhibit, to just pull out, and that may kill the trade show. But, you know, this community is so vibrant with and, – and in fact, the Apple keynote swamps um, – all the other news that happens that week. I'd almost rather have Apple exhibit at the show, which they say right now they're not going to do, and not do a keynote because then Apple would be there to kind of gather people in, but people wouldn't – all these great new product announcements wouldn't get lost in the glare of the Apple keynote. Well, my understanding is the Obama administration has already said they're going to mandate 
uh, <laughs> Macworld Expo next year because you know Barack is a he's a Mac guy. He is a Mac guy. So uh, when excellent. he's not listening to his Zoom, some not. some excellent points made in that discussion. No points. I didn't want to interrupt with with any uh, sounds, but boom. Point for Roman. Boom. Point for Jason. All right. Hey. <laughs> and uh, yes, and don't don't anger the host. Chris loses a point. Oh. This this is this is not uh, social. You are not the host of the podcast today. Ah, uh, yes, but I will be next time. And just wait to see what happens mm, to your voices. We, we come to our next question, which is our golden envelope question. Match the answer that I have written down on this slip of paper and not put in the golden envelope, or any sort of envelope, and you will get five. Bonus points, and almost assuredly a spot in the final. Our question Apple's made games a focal point of promoting the App Store. What blast from the past game would you like to see make a triumphant return in iPhone application form? Let's go to Chris. Okay, my joke answer first? Sure. Operation. And <laughs> the notion there is that uh, if you miss, you will be shocked. <laughs> That the uh, the yeah. iPhone will actually produce a physical shock that will hurt a lot. <laughs> no, how is that, that a joke that, answer? That's an excellent idea for oh, a game. Look, give me a bunch of points. What shock you two? What oh, shocking right. mechanism is there in the API? That's oh, they're going to work that out. Yeah. It's one they haven't talked shock about. Shock services, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's Shockwave, and uh, and uh. Google has access to that, uh, but nobody else does. Uh, no, the serious answer is I'd like to see Bungie's Myth brought back. And the notion Boom. is that you would use it with Google Maps. So instead of having to rely on the maps that Bungie provides, instead you could make it your neighborhood. You can make it anywhere in the world and you can do terrestrial mapping of, say, downtown Paris. And so you can set up archers on the Eiffel Tower and uh, or at my house. I could put in the basement of my house. I could have one of those exploding zombie guys and people could come by and, and attack my house and I could force my house to explode in fantastic and gooey ways. After after the BBC sues us out of existence, you should really become an iPhone game developer. <laughs> Roman, what is your choice? Well, I had a joke choice, but at the risk of losing any points, I'm no, not no, going to say because it's not a very good joke. His joke choice was great. My joke choice was Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, See, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you set yourself up because you can use the accelerometer to no no no, no. no. Uh, this is a no. family podcast exactly okay so my my well, real choice <laughs> my real choice is Glider Pro and oh, you can use nice. this for people who aren't re- uh, familiar with Glider Pro you essentially have a paper glider that you have to go- glide through a room and use different mechanisms to keep the glider afloat whether it's a fan from the floor or a heating vent or whatever, and you can use the accelerometer to try and you know keep your glider afloat somehow or another. I'm not a game designer, so I wouldn't be able to figure that out. But I I think it could be done, and I think that'd make a cool game on the iPhone. I I agree. And Jason, why don't you wrap it up here? I as a child of the Atari 2600, I really uh, was excited to see the uh, the port of the original Adventure cartridge to the iPhone, which happened recently, and it made me think about my favorite Atari 2600 game, which was Superman, which w- didn't resemble Superman in any way, but he he would fly around, and it was a timed game, and I could do it in like a minute. I could solve the entire game. It's probably sadly the best I've ever done in any video game in my life. Uh, I thought about Crystal Castles, which was my favorite Boom. arcade game. I'm not quite sure how. How you take that uh, that trackball interface and turn it into a, uh, an interface with a touchscreen, but uh, that, I, I, boy, I loved that bear, and he 
tried to get honey and the bees stung him. But what I'm going to say is every Infocom text adventure ever because I've gotten pretty good at the iPhone text, uh, iPhone touchscreen and I'd love to sit there and, and, and do those uh, those text adventures like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and, and uh, I'd really love to see that on the iPhone. You could do it now. Yeah. Frots. Yeah, frots. Is that is that legal? Yes. Yeah. Thanks for reading the site. All right. <laughs> I think that I think there are copyright problems with the Infocom. Uh, the, 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 Infocom. Yeah, the issue is you have to get the the games onto the phone, and you can do it. But yes, uh, but not legally. This is what I'm saying is I would like a legal recourse because it's all about the copyright here, right? right? But right. I, all, you, you I mean, hey, own all those. Hey, games don't on. look at me. I, I actually do. Don't look at me. I could have picked uh, uh, the ice hockey, NHL ice hockey for the Sega. Uh, from the uh, from the nineties, which is Phil's favorite game, and a brazen attempt to guess the golden envelope, oh, but so I didn't. That's what's on the paper. I didn't. It okay. might be, but uh, yes, yeah, so it, it is all about the copyright here. <laughs> that's right. Our podcast. Hello, Beastie Boys. Uh, we love you. Lawsuits are unnecessary. Um, I, my answer, actually, that was written in the golden envelope slip of binder paper. Ikari Warriors. <laughs> Am I the only person that remembers Ikari Warriors? What is that? Yes. It was a beautiful arcade game from the late 80s, I'd say. It was clearly inspired by Rambo. You would be dropped in a jungle with you and your, your little Ikari Warrior buddy, and you would just shoot any any bad guy, these bad guys in blue soldier uniforms. Because when you're in the jungle, blue blends so beautifully yeah. uh, and you had grenades and, and 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 rifles and if you were lucky you could get in a tank and just rack up some serious damage wow. me and my friend hugh we would finish our shift at the carl's jr and we would go across the street to the pizza hut and blow <laughs> wow. all our money all our coins wow that is a trans fat full story there. on the akari warriors <laughs> playing akari warriors together and i wish i could play it on my iphone all right give yourself two points i i will you're way behind, though. I am way behind, and that means that we should check the scores, actually. Speaking of way behind, Roman Loyola is bringing up the rear right now with 12. Uh, going farther away in the distance, Chris Green with 16, and Jason Snell almost assuredly in the finals with 19 points. We have two questions left, though, before we reach our, our final stage. Um, one story that won't go away this year, no matter how hard we try and how many thumbs down Macworld.com readers are giving it on our website, is Microsoft trying to purchase all or some of Yahoo. Since Apple has $25 billion in cash socked away, what faltering tech giant should it buy? Let's go to Chris Breen, who looks eager to answer this question. Romania. Uh, what I'm suggesting is that you could also throw in Moldova and Bulgaria as well. And uh, the idea here is that there are lots of smart people that are wasting away breaching government computers and concocting spam schemes. So you could put them to work at Apple making a Mac notebook so that the uh, 17 people who demand the damn thing will finally shut the hell up. Would they have to fly to Romania to, to pick up their... Uh... Uh, no, no, no. We'll, we'll bring it out from Romania, and we will provide those 17 people with their personally autographed, you know, Romanian... Nadia Comaneci. Nadia Comaneci yeah. will sign it. <laughs> uh, Jason. I'm going to say, um, well, my serious answer is probably TiVo 
only because of some things that they are they are a faltering tech tech giant of a sort. They've got great intellectual property, as Chris said. The Apple TV is kind of scuffling. Um, TiVo's got a great interface. They they fill uh, a niche. They've done the work to work with Cablecast. They've got the deal with Directv. Imagine if Apple had access to that and could put it together so that you could get this. It, it, it's really in many ways becoming what a, what Apple TV should have been all along. The current generation of TiVo box. And since Apple has so much money in the bank, um, my my second suggestion, really quickly, and he's going to give me a point for this, is it's outside the box here, which is the New York Times. Just go ahead. You can get them cheap. Uh, cool. You know, have some content on your website. Uh, pay Marine Dowd to write columns about whatever. <laughs> anyway, yes. And that, you get Pogue in the deal, too. And you get Pogue. That's right. Well, and Steve Jobs can do anything he wants with David Pogue. <laughs> that, that sounds quite horrible, actually. <laughs> uh, Roman, and I don't want to put pressure on you, but you've, you've got to come up big here. Okay, so I have two answers. So I'd like yeah. to see Apple buy Sun Microsystems. Because Boom. what that would do is diversify Apple's assets of source. They don't have really a presence in the enterprise space. They could See, buy I thought Sun. you were going to say that you were going to diversify them into products that people want <laughs> and then products that people don't would be added to the list. Well, Sun would give them a, a, a presence in that space. It could also help them with their cloud compu- computing problems. Boom. Because Sun Microsystems is a player in the cloud stuff, and they can get some good technical advice from, the cl- from, from Sun people. They could also get their CEO a haircut. Because he's the Boom. only CEO who still wears a ponytail, and that's that's it's that's wrong. that's 80s, you know, and it's we're in we're in the 2000s now. The other thing I'd like to see Apple do is I'd like to see Apple offer to buy Sistar. Now, what I'd like them to do is, <laughs> after all, you know, they're bombarding Sistar with all these all this litigation, and then you know, I want them to do a back deal. Back office deal where they say, "Hey, you know, why don't we why don't we just buy you guys and then call them to the table and then they have all the things worked out and you know they're, they're sitting at the table and then and they're you know the SciStar guys are all excited that they're going to get this this buyout and be rich and everything and then Steve Jobs walks Steve Jobs walks into the room sits down and then he says, "You know what? Screw this." And then he shreds all the paperwork and he walks out. All the Apple guys walk out and they're outside the office just high fiving each other, watching the SciStar guys just cry. That, that sounds like a plot twist in a WWE wrestling match. <laughs> You'll need Jim Ross there. Oh, my God, what happened here? Um, very good. Excellent. Uh, lots of points there. We're coming down to the wire here for the last question. Chris is looking bereaved. Chris looks very sad. He, it's like he feels that this is some sort of legitimate contest that's been sullied by our dramatic finish. I thought somehow Romania was going to put me mm-hmm. on the topic. Well, it's not really a it, – it may be faltering, but it's never really been a tech giant, has it? Well, it was actually in the 1500s. <laughs> they were they did impaling better than anyone. Boom. Good point. Um, <laughs> our final question. Sports Illustrated named Michael Phelps. It's Sportsman of the Year. Time Magazine at some point will name Person of the Year. Perhaps they have done it while we're sitting here in the podcast cave. And Everything else has happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Macworld doesn't have a Person of the Year award, but if we did, who would we name Person of the Year? And be warned, if you say Steve Jobs, many, many points will be coming off your score. So this is where you could either capture victory or throw victory if you don't want to be in the final. And I will go to Jason for the first answer. All right. There's a guy um, who lives in Southern California who is a Mac and iPhone developer, and his name is Craig Hockenberry. He writes for the Icon Factory. And Boom. now he is he's the author of two 
pieces of software that are not the most earth-shattering pieces of software. They're Twitter clients, Twitterific for the Mac and for the iPhone. But writing that software is not the reason that he's the person of the year. I think it's because of his role as an agitator and more than that, a thoughtful agitator um, against some of Apple's misguided practices involving the App Store. He's the one who said that Apple's non-disclosure agreement, which prevented developers from sharing what they've learned about the iPhone to make better software for Apple's platform, from sharing it with other developers, which was absolutely insane. But the thing about Craig is that he didn't just bellyache about it. He wrote some thoughtful essays on his blog. He tried to find ways to sort of form an underground railroad to help other developers learn what they needed to do to write good iPhone apps, even competitors. He embraced open source where he could and actually took, picked up some open source stuff and used it and then sent his changes back into the project, even though that helps his competitors. You know, as somebody where one of the other great blunders, I think, of this year was Apple not being open enough with the iPhone development and with the workings of the i the App Store for developers. Um, I think Craig Hockenberry deserves a nod because he did it as an agitator, but he did it right. He wasn't just a jerk about it. He really was constructive and I think has been uh, influential in making Apple change its tune. Very good answer. Let's go to Roman. Uh, Taking a page from Time Magazine, the first Macworld person of the year should be you. (laughs) Now, you... You helped the company grow in its market share. You stood by the company as it worked out the bugs with its iPhone software. You put up with the problems with MobileMe. Yes, you did. You continue to use MacBooks and iMacs even though you hate those glossy screens. And you bought iPhones and iPods by the barrel. And so the Macworld Person of the Year should be you with Boom. a capital Y. I'm going to give you a point there at the end because you excellent you argued it excellently. But, boy, I think we're all agreed that that Time Magazine thing from a few years ago with the you as the Person of the Year, that was, that was, a, that was a load of horse hockey, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, Chris, let us see. If you can earn a place in the final. Uh, No, I'm going to throw this one intentionally because I'm going to give it to a class of people. And that class is the E-executive class at Apple. And by what I mean by E is those executives who you can attach an IE or Y to their first names and it still works. And that includes Johnny Ives, Ronnie Johnson, Scotty Forstall, Timmy Cook, Petey Oppenheimer, and, of course, Bobby Mansfield. Nobody can call Steve Jobs Stevie and live to tell about it. Yeah, and if you call Phil Schiller, Philly Schiller, he sounds like someone who works for the Philadelphia Tourist Board. Or the Phillies. Or the Phillies. And, the uh, fanatic. The, and the point here is that there are a lot of people at Apple who are doing good work up at the executive. And a lot of people look at Phil and they look at Steve and they look at Ives and say, well, that's it. But actually, for example, you look at Ron Johnson. The Apple Store, the physical Apple Store is a work of genius. The way these things are laid out, the way that it provides people who have never touched an Apple product before to walk in, experience things from the tiny little shuffle on up to the iPod to the iPhone to the Macintosh and get it Good and job, understand Ronnie. what this is all about. Excellent work, Ronnie. Way to go, Ronnie. And I would feel okay about saying, nice going, because you know that when he was a kid, people said, Ronnie. And I say the same Nice going, Ronnie. I think you did really good work there. So, Ronnie specifically, but all the E-class of uh, executives at Apple. Nice answer, Chrissy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Let us see I, how- I can't call him Philly. No. No, you can't. 
Let's find out the scores. It was a nice rally at the end, but in the end, he goes home with the bronze Roman Loyola with 18 points. That means our two finalists are Chris Breen with 21 and Jason Snell with 24. Which brings us to our final, and let's see if I can hit the right thing here. This is Defend the Indefensible. I will read a statement, and you will have 20 seconds to defend it. No matter what I say, you cannot, uh, you cannot disagree with it. You cannot bow out of it, no matter how ridiculous. And since, Chris, you finished in second, you will go first. Your Defend the Indefensible is... If it's going to be a happy holiday in the Breen household, there had better be a Zune underneath the tree on December 25th. And that's right, because I have a lot of furniture that uh, leans awkwardly. And I specifically have uh, the table that we eat from. Uh, when my daughter puts her elbow on the table, it knocks the plates off the table and onto the floor. So a Zoom would be absolutely perfect for that table because working as a shim, onto the table leg, it would fit perfectly and no longer would I lose my uh, cutlery and my and fine boom. china. All right. Thank you very much. Jason. Because your Defend the Indefensible was overtaken by events, I'm going to give you the one I wrote for Roman. Not only was Apple right to remove the FireWire port from the MacBook, they should have removed the USB port as well. Really, really, it's true. Um, who needs ports? Really, who needs them? The, the Mac is so great that all you really need is what's inside. What's inside is what matters most. These these third-party things you attach on the outside, it's just not worth it. And by the way, there's wireless technology. You've got your Bluetooth. You've got your Wi-Fi. Who needs cables? I don't like them. I wish it wasn't even a power cable. I wish there was and a crank who, I could turn. All right. Thank you. Both very good answers. I am going to have to give it because he answered in the um, in the spirit in which the question was was asked, and and not in the the the, the furniture uh, way. I'm going to say that the first champion of of MacWorld Fighting Talk is none other than Jason Snell. Woo-hoo! Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Philly. <laughs> And I'd like to thank all of our panelists for being here, Jason Snell, Roman Loyola, Christopher Breen. We'd like to thank all the folks at um, BBC and Colin Murray for inspiring us to rip you off totally. To, to pay homage. Yes, we, we learned from uh, Windows 95 and that you must steal from your betters when you're out of ideas. Um, I'm Philip Michaels for the Macworld Podcast, which has been sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable spoken word content with over 50,000 titles. Get a free audiobook for your iPod or MP3 player at www.audiblepodcast.com slash BTR. Join us next time on the Macworld Podcast when we'll be previewing Macworld Expo. Macworld Expo.